Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Good morning. It's always exciting. We get to start our worship with uh, baptism. And so this morning I want to introduce Mr. Nathaniel Scott Smith. Is that correct? Nathaniel, I'm so proud of you, buddy. And he has a guest here who's been very instrumental in his life. And so uh, Mr. Blake. Mr. Blake, will you wave your hand? So thankful you to come. Mr. Blake was a teacher that uh, Nate had for third and fourth grade. And uh, he was very instrumental in helping Nate get to church when Nate wanted to go. And so we're so thankful for teachers, friends uh, who care about our students and make a difference and make sure they get where they want to go. So, Nathan, proud of you, buddy. And it's upon your profession of faith that we baptize you today. And so let me put this down. Christ, 
this morning we just want to lift up uh, some folks of our body who are hurting who are suffering this morning those who are hospitalized and Lord as we said in the first service we know that you're the great healer and we trust you with all of that Lord and we just pray we pray for the doctors and nurses and we pray for the families as they wait Lord just give them strength give them courage just wrap your arms of love around them dear Lord we're just going to praise you for what you're going to do. Father, we, we thank you for this time that we come and as we worship the Lord in our tithes and offerings this morning. And Lord, uh, as we give back a portion of what you've given us, what you've blessed us with this week. Lord, what a, what a blessing it is to be able to give back. And Lord, we're trusting you with that. Lord, that you'll take it and you'll multiply it and you'll use it your kingdom's glory here in this place. 
We pray for our pastor in a few moments as he comes and brings a message to us, Lord. And I pray that you give him uh, clarity. I pray that you would give him courage and boldness to speak truth this morning. And Lord, we pray, especially if there's folks in our body here who do not know you as the Lord and Savior, that they would leave this place this morning before that's settled. Father, thank you for the one that followed you in believers' baptism this morning. Thank you for his life, and Lord, just pray that you'd be with him as he walks with you daily. Lord, just go with us and guide and direct us in everything that we do and say. We love you. We praise you. We honor and glory you. Glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise today just because he's he's good and he's he's really uh, worthy of all of our affection and all of our praise today and uh, everything good and noble and wise uh, in this life that we could offer back to him in praise is truly a reflection of who he is and his goodness and grace 
uh, in our lives. So today, we're going to be back in John uh, chapter 3. I don't know if you brought your Bible. We did not. Uh, if you did not, we will provide the text for you on the screen. We're just so glad that you're here today. And if you are a guest with us this morning, first time here, second or third time you're here, we're just really, really, really honored that you've chosen to come and, and to uh, to worship with us. And, and, and I just want to throw out a scenario to our church family tomorrow, okay? So let's, here's a scenario. Uh, just imagine for a second that you, you've been um, worshiping with our body, you've been coming to church and visiting for two or three weeks, let's say maybe even a month or two months, and, and, and then after being here for several months, you still don't feel connected. You feel like you haven't developed relationships. You feel like, well, if I'm there or I'm not there, I'm not really for sure if anyone would miss me or even notice me. Now, for those of you who, who come and hear on a regular basis, if, if you knew that somebody ever felt that way, what would you do? Would you change your Sunday morning pattern or routine? If you knew that someone had been several months and just did not feel that, that they connected or that any, if they were here or not here, that no one would notice or even care. Would that affect how you might operate on a Sunday morning? It wouldn't me. I mean, it would really affect me. In fact, I would, I'd be like, okay, where is that person? Where is that person? I'm, I'm going to make sure I go to that person and connect with them. So, so today, as, as we come and as we worship, I'm so grateful and thankful for the many folks who are visiting. They've been new with us and new families. We get to connect and see people out. And I'm like, yeah, I saw you at worship. You know, and I'm so glad you're, you're coming. And, and I, man, let's just all have that heart to, to encourage and to look out for, for one another, right? And to have each other's back. And so I just want to encourage you today. Uh, make sure before you leave that everybody around you has, has felt welcomed and loved and appreciated. I hope that we do that today. And so uh, we're so glad that you're here. So today we're coming back to John chapter 3. And in the first service, you know, all of our hearts were just heavy today uh, for the Fran Gold family and for Fran who's in the hospital and for another family in Murray. And, and our hearts were just really heavy today. Uh, for them, and it really just affected, you know, I think our spirit coming into worship today, but as we got into Scripture and got into the Word, you know, it just, just really helped to bring things into perspective for us today. And so I'm excited about bringing uh, this message to you this morning. So let's go ahead and pray, and just, uh, let's just surrender our hearts and our minds and, and our, our mental faculties and everything about us, just to say, okay, God, here I am. God, if you desire to speak anything to me, I'm listening. I'm listening to you. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace for us, Lord. Father, we thank you for all the lives that have been with us today in worship, in Bible study, uh, in our fellowship. And I pray, Father, uh, that we have, that we've stewarded well, that we've done a really good job of loving people. And it's not a job, it's a joy uh, to make people feel loved and accepted and welcome. So Lord, I just pray that as we even leave today or prepare to leave here uh, at the end of the service, that God, we would just be aware of the lives around us. Uh, so Lord, we give you this time and Father, I, I, I give you, I give you my time. I am so dependent upon your spirit uh, to be our teacher today and father i pray that you by your holy spirit uh, would speak to every life hope encouragement father uh, whatever each life in this place needs i pray that somehow some way you through this human vessel you will make yourself known and we trust you to do that in jesus name Amen and amen. So here we are back in John chapter 3. And today we are wrapping up uh, this message series, God willing, uh, that's been entitled Revisiting John 3.16. Looking at John 3.16 uh, in its context, details around it, 
And we've learned so much. I know I have learned so much in just really taking an in-depth look at the context of John 3.16. And I'm reminded today of three things, three things that this text really speaks to. For one, this text speaks to the nature of God's love. It really does. This, this text speaks to the nature. In fact, it literally screams. It screams God's love. You know, God's love for everyone, everyone who's ever been on this planet, everyone who will ever be on this planet, it screams the nature of God's love. And that God's love, and love in general, is, is a love that gives. It is a love that gives. This text also speaks to the nature of justice. Of justice. And that there is a justness in regards to the character of God. This text speaks to the nature of justice. And it speaks to the fact that there is an aspect of God's character that He is just. He is a just judge and a just ruler of all things. In fact, he, by nature of his character of love, he ties himself to love. But he also ties himself to justice. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He must, by his very char character, stand against that which is unholy or that which is rebellious or that which is defiant. In fact, he would not be a loving father if he wasn't just. Then finally, it speaks to the character of hope. The character of hope really puts a lot of things in perspective today. When we think about where some people are even today, that the character of hope in this scripture Screams out to us hope beyond pain, hope beyond uh, chaos, hope beyond uh, all the ills and challenges that we're, we find in our lives. Hope beyond the grave. This text screams out to us about the character of hope. I want you to imagine a scenario with me for just a second in, in thinking about the love of God, okay? I want you to imagine uh, you're a parent. Now, I know for some of you, imagining that you're a parent is a big stretch, right? I mean, you're thinking, I am eight years old. This is extremely difficult for me to think of being a parent. But I just want you to, to try to go there, okay? Now, for some of you, it's not hard to do, all right? You've got three, four, five, six, seven. I don't know how many kids. You, I mean, you, you, you know, you've been there, right? It's not hard for some of you. Even for grandparents, not hard for some of you. And even, even listen to this. Even if you are not a biological parent and you just love a child. Just go there with me for a second. And I want you to imagine you know, you're laying in bed and it's late at night and everything is dark. And, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you hear a disturbance. You, you hear maybe a window break. Or you hear a crash of something in your house. And then you begin to hear from across the house or across the hallway, you begin to hear the whimpers. Or the cries of, of your child. And, and, and your mind begins to race. And you're hearing the chaos. And you're hearing the what seems to be in your mind. Imminent danger. Imminent danger in regards to your child. What do you do? What do you do? Do you lay there? Do you just go, eh, I'm sure things will work out okay? Do you think, okay, you look over at your spouse and be like, hey, well, hey, it's nothing, I'm sure it's nothing. Let's just, 
I'm tired. It's been a long day. Let's just, let's go back to sleep. Are you kidding me? That's not what you're going to do, right? What are you going to do? I mean, you're going to spring to your feet, right? And, and you are literally going to run toward that child. I can tell you even right now that, that if my daughter, who's three hours away, if she messaged me right now and said, Dad, help or trouble, that three-hour drive would be a 30-minute drive. I am not kidding you. This is John 3.16. It is God loving people. And God doing what is absolutely necessary within himself. To heal the hurt. To cast away and to put out the fires of danger. And to rescue and to save. Now, we've walked through John 3.16, and we've said that the power of John 3.16 is in nine words. Nine words. God loved, world, gave, son, whoever believes, the last two we're looking at today, perish. Eternal life. Two words, but it's one concept. Eternal life. God loves or loved world gave son whoever believes perish. And that sounds weird, doesn't it? Sounds a little weird just to throw that in and not to say not perish. Right? Sounds a little weird. You're like, Brother Allen, you probably should say not perish. But perish actually stands alone. It stands alone in, listen to this, an unaffected condition. So we need to, to let it speak. Perish. Then... Eternal or everlasting life. So when we come to this word perish, and this is where we are in our teaching. And by the way, you can go to our, our YouTube channel. You can go to our live stream. You can hear all the messages leading up to this over the last three to four weeks. And I'd encourage you to do that because there's so much here that I'm just not going to take time to try to catch everybody up. But my nature as a teacher is to want to do that. I would love just to preach the last three weeks. And here we go. And y'all will be here at four o'clock going, I wish the guy would just really hush. I really do. So please take advantage of those avenues where you can hear the previous messages. I believe like looking at a snowflake intently, there's so much more there that we've talked about. And I hope you'll maybe take some time to catch up. But the last two words we're looking at starts with the word perish. And so let's just say the word uh, the verse in its whole context, or as it is, and let's put perish into context. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, his only begotten son, that whoever, and you could probably just say it with me, whoever believes in him shall not what? Shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. The word here for perish is actually a word that kind of stands alone because then the language of this word and how it stands when you put not perish with it it's language listen to me it's language of avoidance if i say i'm going to do this so you'll not go to walmart then i'm almost suggesting that you're already on your way to where i'm going to do this so you so you will not go to the ball game I'm speaking in such a way that is suggesting that you're already on your way to the what? You're already on your way to the ballgame. It's language of avoidance. Of a condition that currently stands. Now, in order to 
have eternal life in the text, you have to believe. You have to believe. And to believe is to receive. It's to receive Him. It's not just mental facts. It's not understanding facts about anything that God or Jesus has ever done. That type of belief is getting facts right, but it's not getting your heart right. It's belief that is packed with faith and trust. There is a sense of surrender. There is a sense of exchange when you believe in this way. You look to Him with faith, of healing and deliverance from a sin-sickened condition. You believe to have life. But perishing stands there alone. As if, if you do nothing, you perish. Do nothing. You perish. Now we understand the scripture is pretty clear that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We, we understand that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We understand that. The condition, the current condition of humanity. The issue at hand today is not will people perish if something else happens. No, the issue is that because all have sinned in that sin-sickened condition, they are on a course. They are on a road. They, are, they have a destiny in front of them that they are currently living out. And we come to understand in this study that to be dead in one's trespasses and sins means to be separated. It means in your spirit to be separated from the life in the spirit of God. You might believe in God. You might appreciate God. You might see everything about God around you. And you might even be feeling as live and as healthy as you've ever been. But if you are separated from Christ, you may be physically alive, but you are spiritually dead. You are separated in your spirit from God because of sin. And so, the, so just to do nothing, to do nothing is to continue down the road of separation and to find a point and a place of perishing. To perish in the language of the text, means, as it is translated, it means to perish, to be lost, to be ruined, to be destroyed. The destiny is destruction. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, It speaks of God, watch this, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. These will pay the penalty of eternal what? Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. The writer of Second Thessalonians is trying to encourage people that there is retribution for evil and there is retribution for sin. And God, because of his holiness and because of his rightness, he stands in opposition to that. That is also called in Scripture the wrath of God. And I want you to please understand, when you think of the wrath of God, do not think of someone who's having a fitful rage and they're out of control. Now, your wrath or my wrath, it might be like a, 
a fitful rage. Anybody, anybody been there? You ever go there? You just, you, you are at the, you are at the exploding point. Okay. You have had all you can have. And finally, I mean, you lose your cool. You lose it. And maybe you have been called, you know, maybe a hothead or you got a short fuse or you got a hot temper. Then the next thing you know, when you lose it, it's like you are out of control and you are like in this rage. Any, and listen, this is not confession time, okay? But any throwers in here? Anybody say, yeah, I have been known to throw some things before, okay? It's all right. God loves you anyway. It's all right. Been known to throw some things. You ever punched a hole in a wall? Got so mad. You punched a hole. You ever got so mad you punched somebody? Or you wanted to punch? We've been there in a lot of ways. When you think of the wrath of God, do not think of someone who is so angry and out of control and is so fitful that they are just going to wreak havoc. No. It is a consistent steady opposition to sin and evil. He is never out of control. He's never in a fitful rage. But he stands firmly in opposition to sin. And he understands that sin costs life. He does not stand in a position where he demands you to give your life because your life isn't sufficient for the full price and penalty. He stands in a place where he gives the life of his son. He's given to you the great treasure and value of his heart. So you tell me, even in a sin-sickened condition, you tell me, what does that say about the perceived value that God has toward you when he gives so much to love you in this way? But to say no, to refuse his love, to refuse his grace, just to continue to go down the path, this destiny is a destiny of destruction. And it is final. It is a forever dead. To be spiritually separated from God forever. And everything about the language of the text in Scripture tells us that once you go there beyond this life, there's no, there's no turning back. The text does not say that anything has to be done for someone to perish. It will be because of their failure to believe, and it is the result of the success of sin. To perish, you do nothing. Do nothing. You live out the destiny of destruction. You're saying lifeless, spiritual Deadness, God, separateness, meaningless, miserable, dead, spiritual life will just continue into the point of perishing. Which is eternal deadness, a forever deadness. This is hell. And I don't know what your perception or your view of the afterlife is. But I will suggest to you. That a, any state where you are separate from the life of God is hell. In, fa in fact, to not know Christ in this life is to experience a type of hell. But you're not void of the expression of His love around you. You're not void of creation that, that cries out and says that God is here. You're not void of, hopefully, the influence of the body of Christ and people who are like the hands and feet of Christ, who are like maybe your next-door neighbor. I mean, for God to literally knock 
and to call and to beckon and, and to say, repent everyone. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. It suggests the nearness of God. But you're not close enough until you believe in faith. But imagine where there is no expression of God. Imagine, imagine that kind of outer darkness. Imagine where there, there's no expression of God whatsoever. And there is no sense of His nearness. That is hell. And many today are experiencing hell in their soul without the presence of Christ. To perish, you do nothing. Yet to live, you must believe and receive. And it's a game changer. You're changed on the outside in. You become a new creature in Christ. That which was in opposition to him is now in favor to him. He calls you righteous, beloved, holy, and good. He claims you as his very own. Yet it's a decision that you make. And it's been said that God is not, that God is the perfect gentleman. He's the perfect gentleman. He will knock and extend and invite and call. But he will let you play out the decision, the decisions of your own heart. To have him is to have eternal life. I love how John backs himself up in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, he writes, The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, y'all can see that on the screen, he who has the Son has what? The life. And I, and I love it that John puts the article here. The life. Not just a kind of life or a type of life, but the life. The life that, that God wants you to have and to live. The life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And then he speaks of, a, and of a, an assurance of having this life. That you may know that you have eternal life. And, and that is a game changer. I mean, you're, you're, you're in a situation... You don't know if you're going to live, you're going to die. That you're in a situation that seems to be hopeless. But yet you know you have eternal life. It changes everything. Reminds me of what Jesus said in John 10. He said, the thief comes only to kill, to, I'm sorry, to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It also reminds me of what Jesus said after John 3, 16, when he says in verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. It's not why he came. He didn't come to, to be in the position, oh, you're in opposition to me. I'm here to snuff you out. No, that is not his heart. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved 
through him. He who believes, verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It is speaking to a judgment that is already cast. That's why it stands alone. To perish stands alone. A judgment that is already there. But when there's belief and there's faith, then there's an exchange of condemnation and judgment for the righteousness of Christ. He takes your sin and gives you all of his rightness. It is an exchanged life. And you can exchange your life for his. There's at least four characteristics of eternal life. For one, when someone believes and receives... Their spirit becomes united with the Spirit of God. Their dead spirit is awakened. They are now joined to the Spirit of God. And it transcends them inwardly as a person. Their life becomes changed. And everything about their life can be changed now. Because their spirit is united with the Spirit of God. Also, eternal life has no end. And what blows our mind to think about eternal life is it also has no beginning. The very definition of eternal is something that which has no end and it has no beginning. It is a forever kind of life. And somehow, some way, when you are placed into Christ, God looks at you and sees you eternally in His Son. Which means... In the forefront of his mind is, is nothing in regard to your sin or your past or your mistakes or any other stuff that you've been through in your life. You are forgiven completely. Past, present, and future sins. He died for every one. It is... A life that has no ending and it has no beginning. It is a quality of life. All throughout scripture, this life, this life, the life, this kind of life. It speaks of a quality of life that is God's kind of life. So throughout scripture in the Greek language, there's different words for life. Just like there's different Greek words for love. There's different Greek words for life. Just like there's different Greek words for love. So I could say to you, I love my dog. I love a good bologna sandwich. And I love my truck. And I love my wife. And I love Jesus. All in the same breath. But you know, hopefully, I mean something different by each one, right? I, at least I better. My wife and my kids are right, 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 right. I better. Scripture. In the language of Scripture, there's specific words for love. Guess what? There's specific words for life. For one, there's bios life. This is like biological life. It's called simple or detailed life. It's like the life that every living organism has. It's simple, but yet it's detailed. It's life. It's the word we get biology from. There's another word for life, which is your personal life. It's the word suke. It's the word from which we get psychology. Your suke is that part of you that is unique, that makes you a unique person. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's suke kind of life. It's like your soul. But then there's another one. It's called Zoe. Zoe life is the life that is spoken of here. All throughout Scripture, Zoe life is God's kind of life. When the scripture says in John 3.16 that you should have eternal life. It is, listen to me, it is eternal Zoe. Life. I've come that you might have life. And have it abundantly. Jesus just doesn't want to give you more of the same of your life. He wants to give you a unique and special life. Because I know some of you are going, man, he's going to give me more life, more life, what, what I've got. I don't need more life like what I got. Can I get an amen? I don't need more life like what I got. No. It's God's kind of life. 
It is a life that when you are at a point of despair, it's, it's a life that when you are at a point of hope, where you feel like you're hopeless, it's a life where when you are on your knees at your rock bottom, something infuses you and causes you to get back up and to keep going. It is something that speaks not just air into your lungs, but air into your soul. It is a life that keeps you going. It is a life that sees things different from the way everybody else sees things. It's God's kind of life. And by definition, by definition, it is exactly what it says it is. It is eternal life. A life in Christ that is forever. This speaks, listen carefully, this speaks to a forever aspect. It speaks to an assurance of never losing that life. Because if at any moment you possess eternal life and then you lose it, then at the original moment of that which you possessed, it was not eternal life. Let me say that again. It speaks to an assurance of having this forever life in Christ. If you have eternal life, that is forever life in Christ, and then one day you lose it, then you look back and say, I never had eternal life. It would just be called life. Or it would be called temporal life. Or partial life. Maybe with a hope of one day being eternal after you die. But you don't get eternal life when you die. You get eternal life at the point of faith and belief. When you're justified. It's at that point you're given eternal life. So if you're in Christ today and you have believed and received, you have eternal life. You start living immediately. And it's not this thing of, oh my goodness, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. I'm just going to be miserable till Jesus calls me home and cross over that Jordan River. And, and all I've got to look forward to is what's on the other side. No. If you think that's what this is about, you've been misled. It's about having that kind of life now. And then when you physically die, the life that you have now continues. It just keeps on going on. It's like if you're spiritually dead and you do nothing, your, your meaningless, miserable spiritual condition just continues as it is to the point of perishing. But if you are alive in Christ, then you're meaningful, invigorated, passionate life in Him that begins at the point of faith. It just keeps going. You just keep marching. And when you get there, it's no surprise to you. It's not a big change. It's not like, oh my goodness, what is this? No, it's like, hey, you've been walking with Jesus all these years. It's just more of that without all of this. It's just more of that without all of this. So the way I see it is you got two options. Do nothing. And in your spiritual condition, you continue to your destiny of destruction. You perish. Or you hear him call your name and you respond with yes. I will exchange all of this stuff of meaninglessness and sin and rebellion, I will exchange that and I accept you as the Lord of my life. Two options. Do nothing or say yes and let him change your life. So won't you stand with us today?
And imagine yourself. Imagine yourself, okay? All right. You're that kid. I mean, this has hit you. I mean, you've come to realize the spiritual condition of your soul. You are that kid. And the chaos and the destruction and all of that is screaming around you. And the Father comes to you in the dark of night and says, Child, here I am. And you either just continue in the chaos or you reach up your arms and you receive and you accept all that He's offering for you. It is your choice. You hear the gospel. That's on you. You believe. That's on you. He changes you. That's on him. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.